our after Christmas sale. <laughs> well, did y'all get to see your in-laws and your outlaws? I'm not going to say nothing, are you? Huh? That's probably really smart. Well, we're gonna we're gonna take a gander at uh, some, uh, two things tonight. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world right now. How about that? And uh, there's a lot going on with Israel right now. So we thought we might show. Uh, it's always just a few minutes, just a little over seven minutes. Uh, Joe Morris every Wednesday has a end days update, so it's about seven and a half minutes. And uh, if you're familiar with what's been going on with. Uh, some nations, including ours. Uh, ours is probably the culprit of the whole thing. And uh, I, I had nothing to do with it, did y'all? <laughs> nothing to do with it. I am pro-Israel. How about y'all? I love me the Jewish people, I'll tell you what. <laughs> but anyway, we, we're going to watch that, and then as soon as that's over, we're going to go straight into the uh, uh, our next uh, uh, DVD on uh, with Curry Blake and Divine Healing Technician. Does everyone have a syllabus? For tonight, if not, there's probably some back there on that table, but uh, we're ready when you are, sir. Welcome to this week's End of Days update coming to you from Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you can, this weekend, if you're near the Houston or Galveston area, we'll be in Galveston, Texas at Island Church, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. Hey, hope you had a wonderful Christmas last week, and can you believe New Year's is this weekend? Crazy. It's amazing. We're almost ready for 2017. Too wild. So we're coming to you every week to show you the different things that point to the coming of the Lord, and specifically the gathering of nations that are looking like the Ezekiel 38 war. It's pretty blatant, it's pretty exact, and pretty precise. So many things are happening right now that it's very, very easy easy to see how close we are. I've heard people say, well, you can't tell when the Lord's coming back. Well, you can if you can read. You've got about 50 signs that show us how near we are. If you're driving from Tulsa to Dallas and it's 200 miles, the sign says 150, then the sign says 100, the sign says 75, you know you're headed toward Dallas. We have all the signs that have happened for the second coming, and we've moved into signals as well. Jesus said, hey, you can tell what the weather's going to be, but you don't know your hour of your visitation. So he wanted us to know, why would we get into end times? It's so that you'll have a renewal of hope and a renewal of joy and you'll accelerate your pace to do what you're called to do right before the Lord comes back. So probably we've all heard over and over and over all about this, but let's get into this a little bit about America abstaining from the vote for the UN resolution uh, against Israel's uh, West Bank and against Jerusalem. It's absolutely 100% absurd. Now what that does is with America abstaining, it went ahead and passed, but now we find out in the next days that after the resolution was passed that it was crafted not only by Americans, but it was pushed by President Obama himself, knowing that this would be something that would happen uh, right before he gets out of office. This is so ridiculous that friends don't take friends before the Security Council. Israel's the only democracy in the Middle East, and here we basically threw them under the bus. Now let's talk about this for a minute. Why are they going after those areas from the Six-Day War. Now look at the rules of war. In 1967, Israel was surrounded by Egypt, by Syria, and by Jordan. Israel won the war. That's why they got that land. Not only that, that's been their land for 3,500 years or more, uh, to the point that even yesterday in Israel, celebrating the beginning of Jubilee. They went down to the city of David and they looked at a road that was 2,000 years old, even uncovered artifacts showing uh, connections to the temple from 2,000 years. You don't see a Palestinian road there 2,000 years ago. You don't see anything about the Palestinians 2,000 years ago, but you see the heritage of the Jews all over the place. So this uh, against the rules of war, it's absolute selective amnesia on the part of the world. Now this is a precursor and a setup for what we'll be seeing all the way up to the coming of the Lord. Now, amazing thing is there'll be more, majority of this will be horrible after the rapture of the church, but we're going to get to see a lot of it. If you were in the room, they said applause erupted everywhere throughout the whole room, uh, pushing this against Israel. The amazing thing, remember I talked about last week, the head of the UN had wore a Palestinian scarf two weeks ago uh, just to support the Palestinians. It's that uh, anti-Israel mentality that's pervading. But you did have even Kiev come out and say that was wrong. You had different leaders of the world come out and say this was wrong because Israel's uh, it's their land and they have a right to it. And I like what President uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said, we're not going to give up the Western Wall. We're not going to give up Jerusalem. We're not going to give up the West Bank area. In fact, that's Israel. 
Israel's. And if you want to get real particular about it, it's what God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <laughs> and he said, I swear by no greater oath than by my own word. So trust me, it's their land forever. And this is what the whole uh, war of wars will be about. It'll be over the Temple Mount. Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling for all nations. So you're seeing this now. You got to, to when this airs tomorrow, which is Wednesday. You'll already have Secretary of State John Kerry coming out with a speech, and it will probably define some things that will take place January the 15th in France. France has an initiative to have a Palestinian state pushed forward, and that will go back before the UN Security Council. Notice they're doing that right before President Trump goes into office. So there's all these things kind of being rammed right at Israel. I mean, in the midst of all this, you have ISIS burning uh, Turkey. Turkish uh, prisoners alive on video. You've got ISIS attacking Israel again. You have separate attacks there in the nation of Israel. You have rockets still firing from Gaza in the south, from Hamas. Uh, it, it is remarkable that you even have in Zurich, in Switzerland, you had ISIS do a knife attack. So we're seeing what ISIS is doing all over the world, but it's a precursor for this mentality of the Antichrist. Remember, Islam is the whore of Babylon. and the whole tribulation period, God's going to deal with that, uh, that uh, religious system that came right out of Baghdad, Iraq. So... It, there's many, many other things happening with other nations that you're, they're kind of coming to Israel's defense, but not. But man, this is it. You're going to see this more and more about the world condemning Israel over that land. If you'll notice what's happening with this, this is probably the main point. It took me a little while to get to it. It's mate letting the Palestinians hang back and not make any decisions so that the, before two states uh, solution, in other words, they don't have to make any preconditions. They can just do whatever and let Israel back up and back up and back up. That's the force of this. So what does the scripture say? How do we know this is right before the coming of the Lord? How can we be blatant about this? Well, number one, Israel made a nation in 1948. Jerusalem won back in 1967. Hebrew language uh, restored in our lifetime. The Bible says right before the coming of the Lord, he'd restore to them a pure language. It happened in our lifetime. Night, in the early 1900s, ben Eliehu ben Yehuda came up with uh, new words for the Hebrew language. Amazing. You should study that. Never before ever has that happened in history, happened in your lifetime. And then you got the revival of the Roman Empire. You got the fertility of the land of Israel. You got the Temple Mount Institute. You got 172 different species of predatory birds. You have, there's many more. Men will be lovers of themselves. You have selfie sticks. We needed a selfie stick the other day trying to take pictures on Christmas. But anyway, you've got all this happening and you got the, the signs in the heavens. The Bible said that the heavens would be for signals. You got blood red moons last year and the year before on Passover and Tabernacles. It is remarkable. And you had the Bethlehem star last year. I like that when Jesus was born, the constellation was Virgo. And last year when we had the Bethlehem star again, the constellation was Leo. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So then you have that. You have uh, Mercury doing the flyby of the sun in, in uh just a few months ago, went down right over the Temple Mount. You had the, the planets turning into a sickle, and uh, the, the Orion changed its constellation to a hammer. He had hammer and sickle on the same day. Russia is up to some interesting things. I haven't even gotten into all the stuff. Iran tested some new air defense systems this last week. Uh, Russia promised to supply them with more. There's all these little underpinnings that are set up for the coming of the Lord, and you're watching a manifestation of what is to come by the world coming together to condemn Israel. Israel. This is just the beginning of this. When it gets legal like this at the UN, you can see a setup for the Antichrist to come on the scene. So we're very, 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 very blessed. Hey, Colleen and I want to thank you for watching. I want to thank you for your support and your prayers. We couldn't go where we could go without that. We just want to tell you to have a wonderful 2017. This is going to be a great year for all of us. Uh, I, I've heard it said by so many people that 2017 is going to be a marked year for us. So uh, you're blessed. Have a blessed week. Help your local church. Help your local pastor. Get the message out. Let's run our race faster than ever before looking unto Jesus. Soon and very soon the world will see him face to face. King of kings and Lord of lords. Bright morning star. Wow. Our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord coming so soon. Have a blessed week. We'll see you next Wednesday. We're going to go to page 33 in the manual. <coughs> page 33 in the manual. <clears throat> and we're going to pick up from here and should go on pretty much straight through. We're going to look at this time at why did Jesus heal? And it's kind of the last... Uh,
<clears throat> session kind of brought us up to this. I wasn't thinking of bringing it this way, but the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. It's amazing how he lines things up. Amen. So, section four, why did Jesus heal? Notice, Jesus did not heal to prove that he was God. If Jesus tried to heal to prove, or if he healed to try to prove he was God, he did a really bad job of it because he kept telling everybody, don't say a word. <clears throat> Demons said, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. He said, hold your peace because he didn't want anybody else to know at that point what was going on. <clears throat> so he did not heal to prove he was God or to prove anything else. Basically, there was only, matter of fact, it is amazing the amount of conjecture yeah. that the church puts forth about things and just ignores what is plainly written in, in Scripture. If people would spend more time reading their Bible than going into the bookstores and going to the top 10 bestsellers list Amen. and reading the bestseller books, they would know a whole lot more about God. Mm -hmm. Right? Amen. So, <clears throat> now notice Jesus did not prove to heal he was God. He did not function as God on the earth. And in Philippians, it tells us he emptied himself and only operated in what was available to a man in right relationship with God. That's all he did, right? If Jesus proved he was God by healing the sick, then the 12 and the 70 were also God because they healed the sick, right? So well, was Elijah God? He healed the sick, raised the dead, did some amazing things, right? <clears throat> what did Jesus come to do? Well, 1 John 3, 8 tells us very clearly, he that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, that destruction included everything from death, physical death, to spiritual death, and everything in between. <clears throat> now, in Matthew chapter 9, so let's just see what Scripture says itself about it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, notice, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. He did not preach his death, burial, and resurrection. He kept that hidden. Only even his own disciples didn't understand it. That's why he had to upbraid them because of their hardness of heart and unbelief whenever they, when he appeared to them in Mark 16. <clears throat> so, what he preached was the gospel of the kingdom. Now, a short definition of that is very simple. Gospel means good news. He preached the good news of the kingdom. The word kingdom is the Greek word basileia, and it means literally the reign or a place where a king or a sovereign is in authority. That's really all it means, right? It is the place where a king is supreme authority over an area. Okay? Now, he preached, what Jesus preached, he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. He preached the good news of God's supremacy and reign over everything. That's why, see, we focus so many times. We, it's like we want to be doctors. It's, it's, a, it's such a shame because they are so limited in what they do. And Jesus said, I want you to demonstrate my authority my kingship in every area. And yet we try to go down to, okay, find this person, find what's wrong with them, dig down deep. And we try to be doctors. We, we operate from a natural, carnal mindset of dealing with each person on an individual basis, find out what their problem is, and deal with that problem. That is not, Jesus never told anyone to do that. Mm. All right? See, here's what we try to do. We try, well, I say we, I'm talking about the church in general. What we will do, make sure I'm going the right way from where you look at it, so we'll start here. Yeah, we'll go this way. For me, it's this way, right? <laughs> but since the church is usually doing things backwards, maybe we ought to do it this way. I don't know. So, okay, but he has, what the church tries to do is we try to find a person that needs help, and then we try to disciple them into freedom. Jesus set people free and then discipled them. You see the difference? He started with freedom and then discipled them to walk as he walked. The church tries to do the opposite. We, generally because the church doesn't operate in power, they have to try to counsel somebody to the place where they get them free. Your job is not to help a person get free. 
Your job is to set people free and then disciple them to where they look like Jesus. Do you get that? Real If you just remember that statement right there, that's, that right there be enough for you to get you started. Our job is not to try to disciple them into freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You've got to realize there are two kingdoms at war. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of His dear Son, Jesus. Right? These two kingdoms are diametrically opposed to one another. They do not agree with each other, and they are at war. Now, when you get born again, according to the Scriptures, you get translated from one kingdom into another. The minute you get translated, the, the, the king over the kingdom of darkness, the devil, has no authority over you whatsoever at any time in any place. You're in a different kingdom. That would be just like somebody in another country saying, American citizens will do this. And, and most American citizens, well, let me, let me put it this way. It'd be, <laughs> we got to clarify this. Okay? It would be as if somebody from another country said, I'll tell you what, Texans are going to do this. Okay? <laughs> now, I will tell you, because I can't speak for most Americans, but I can speak for most Texans. Okay? <laughs> you tell us what we can't do, we'll do it just to prove we can do it. Right? Or you tell us what we are going to do, and we will, even if we want to do it, we won't. Okay? Do you understand? It's just, we just dig in our heels and know you're not going to tell me what to do. Right? I mean, I mean, you have to realize for a Texan to get saved is amazing. Right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I don't know if y'all saw the movie at the Alamo when it came out, the remake, yeah. you know? And I really had questions about it whenever I saw who was playing the different parts, you know? And, and I was really surprised. But I remember, you know, some of you may know, my wife... My wife's sixth great-grandfather was Sam Houston. And so we have history here. Now, my family background, I was, my, my grandmother was a Hatfield, of the Hatfield of McCoys, right? If you go in my office in there, I've got a picture, an old picture from the uh, actually late 1800s of some of the original Hatfields that was passed down to me. And I've got uh, two of the original rifles that were used in the Hatfield-McCoy feud, right? And so... We, you know, we got stubbornness and fight in us from birth. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So we just, so, but in that movie, The Alamo, at one point, they, uh, Juan Seguin goes to Sam Houston and tells him, said, uh, they, they want to see you, Sam, and, and they're going to want you humble. You know, they want you to act humble when you come in there. And he said, I humble myself before God, and there the list ends. Okay. okay. So... I'm like, man, okay, a Texan wrote the script for that movie. I'm telling you, there's no doubt about it. But, but we have to realize, I don't know how I got off on that. I have no idea. But you have to realize our job is not to help people get free. We are a different kid. There you go. Thank you. You got me right back on track. That's right. We're in two kingdoms. That's right. And this is warfare between these two kingdoms. And one kingdom has no say-so. And another, another country cannot tell another country what they're going to do unless that country has authority over that country. Right? Well, the kingdom of darkness has absolutely no authority over any person in the kingdom of light. You get that? You got you to get a hold of that. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Any citizen in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of Christ, in the kingdom of God, has absolute authority over everything under the kingdom of darkness. Sickness, disease, poverty, demons, you name it. Okay? Uh, weather. You name it. Anybody in the kingdom of, of God's dear son, in the kingdom of God himself, has authority over every one of the beggarly elements of this world and over anything that can hurt people. Matter of fact, Jesus made it so clear when they said, I mean, what is the most holy thing basically that we generally do is pray to God. Isn't it right? Our time with God, our relationship with God, generally the most spiritual thing we do basically in our personal lives is commune with God. And Jesus said, when you commune with God, say this, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is God's will in heaven? You don't see any sick there. You don't see any crippled there. You don't see any death. You don't see any lack. Amen. And God said, that's, if that's my will in heaven, that's my will on earth. So what is our job? Our job is very simply to walk through this world and anything we see that wouldn't look like that in heaven, we fix it till it does. Amen. Bottom line, you know, I like things simple and direct. 
And bottom line, that's our job. Whatever we see, we fix it till it looks like it would look in heaven. Whether that be a person's body, whether that be a situation, right? Whether it be a government. You, you, we, listen, you don't have to... <laughs> in, the, in the entire book of Acts, one of the most important statements in the book of Acts that you go through and read, and it's said over and over again, and great fear fell upon all of them because they saw God was in the church. Great fear fell upon the people, not the people in the church, the people outside the church. Why? Because they recognized if these people talk to God about something, it's going to change. Amen. The world needs to know that again. Yes, does. The world needs to know. We, if we don't like something because it doesn't look like it would in heaven, we're going to fix it. And if you get in the way, guess what? You're fighting against God. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. There comes a point where, listen, we have all kinds of rights that you can take part in. And you should take part in any right we've got. And you ought to stand for any right, right? It's like I heard a lady say the other day, it's not the Bill of Needs, it's the Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. Big different, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have these rights, and you should take advantage of any of them that, that, that is there and any opportunity you have. But always remember, the greatest aspect of dominion and control and influence you have is whenever you stand before God and say, Father, we recognize this ain't right, and it's going to change. And you do battle in the spirit more than in the flesh. Amen? Amen? You don't picture people as your enemies. Your enemies are not flesh and blood. There is a spiritual warfare going on, and the things that you need to fight are in the spirit, not in the flesh. Most of the people don't even know they're being controlled by spirits. Don't even know it. So, now, he says here, notice we're going with, with, the, um, with the scripture in Matthew 9, 35, 36. 35 is where we're at. He went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Hear that? Every sickness and every disease among the people. He preached, he taught, he healed. Why did he heal? To prove what he was saying was true. You get that? He didn't heal to reward people. He healed to demonstrate what life in the kingdom was like. That he was a king. Do you realize, we'll see this a little bit later on, it's amazing when I realize this. Jesus ordained the 12. He sent them out. They went out. And, and when they came back, obviously, they, they said, you know, even demons are subject to us through your name. He ordained 70. They go out. And it said when he sent them out, he sent them two by two into every city and place whither he himself would go. And he, and he said when he sent them out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you receive, freely give. Isn't that simple? But now notice this. He hadn't been to these places yet. He was sending them to these places. So he said, you go in teams of two, which again, <laughs> it's amazing how these things relate in my head, how they tie together. Because he sent these teams out in two into these cities. He, he only sent two people to any city. He didn't, seem, he, he didn't send in an entire team. He sent two people in. Right now, again, let's let's just show you kind of the mentality here. The back in the early days, uh, my, my dad was a policeman pretty much most of my life, and he worked with several different groups. He was also a corrections officer for the state of Texas and did different things. And I was a corrections officer for the state of Texas for a while, and so we we were around law enforcement. I was around law enforcement all my life. And I was around Texas Rangers, and I got to know some Texas Rangers. My dad knew some, and he worked with them a bit. And so I heard all the stories, these Texas Rangers, and I heard the most famous story, which is there was a riot, and it got to the point where they said, we need National Guard, and they, brought, they were going to bring National Guard in. And then finally, they, 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 they called the governor and said, we, we need help. And he said, okay, I'll get the Texas Rangers to come. And so then he called the Texas Rangers, and then the captain of the Texas Rangers sent a ranger up. And so the train, everybody's waiting. They got this big riot about to break out. Everybody's worried about this huge fight and all this stuff that's going to happen. And when the train gets there, this Texas ranger gets off the train, one, gets off the train, goes back, gets his horse off the train. They walk down. They said, uh, there, there's this big riot. And they're looking and said, well, where, you know, where's the rest of you guys? I mean, because this is going to be big. And they said, the guy looked at him and said, what do you mean the rest of us? He said, well, sure, there's more than just you. He said, well, no. They said, they sent only one ranger. He said, well, there's only one riot. 
Do you see the mentality we're talking about there? Okay. Okay. One, one ranger, you know, one riot, one ranger, all right? See, you got to realize that's the, literally, that's the mentality you should have as a Christian. Amen. You ought to be able to go into a city and say, you know, there's only one city here. Really, you know, it's me and God, we're here. Right? When we show up, we can handle this. Why? Because it doesn't, we, we're never outnumbered. You get it? I mean, I'm not talking about numbers themselves, but we're never outpowered. No matter how many there are, we've always got more power. Right? See, you've got to realize who you're connected to. This isn't about you. This is about Him. And we got into Him, and it was a good thing. Amen. Man? I mean, we're talking about, you, you hooked into the right train on this thing. You know what I'm saying? You got with the right team. You're going to win. You're on the right side. The story's already been written. We're just living it out. And we get a chance to jump in on this thing and do something. Amen? Yes. So, notice what he says here. <clears throat> he says, He went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And like I said, when he sent the 70 out, he sent them out two by two. He sent them out to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, preach the gospel of the kingdom. But he said he sent them two by two into every city and place whither he himself was going to come. Do you realize he was the king? They went out preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is what he was preaching. He said, you go tell them what I'm saying. They were not preaching his death, burial, and resurrection. They were preaching the, the good news of God's supremacy over any situation, over any type of anything. Sickness, disease, demons, anything. Didn't matter. That's what you got to get a hold of. This isn't, you know, here's the problem, here's the solution. No, it doesn't matter what the problem is, here's the solution. You got to get your mind off the idea of trying to find a particular solution for any particular problem. It doesn't work that way. That's why they invented explosives. Okay? You know, that's why they, they invented that. It's, it's why they, it's an old saying in the military, you know, there's no problem so big that enough C4 can't solve. Right? In other words, you get enough explosives, it'll take care of it. You know, you don't have to be a sniper with a hand grenade. Right? If you're going to be a sniper, you're going to hone your skills and you're going to have to train and practice and keep it trained and keep it practice so that you can get that one shot, one kill. That's, that's what you have to think and you have to constantly be at the range honing your skills. But man, any fool can pull a pin and toss a grenade and take care of the situation. Amen? You don't have to be that accurate. You know that what they say? You know, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Isn't that right? You need to realize, you have the power of God. We're not talking about psychology. We're not talking about trying to figure this thing out. We're talking about setting people free. You know, most people want to try to find the right key to open the lock. Blast the thing off. <laughs> right? You ain't got to find the right key. Just knock the lock off of the thing. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Man, we, 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 we want to be specialists. We want to get this things just right. And, just, and we think that this whole problem about this person, the problem is not the person. The problem is the devil. Now, get them free, then disciple them, you know, grow them up into Jesus. There, I'm not talking there's no place for counseling. There is, just not in getting people free. Yeah? Counseling is to teach people how to live, not to get free. If you, listen, if you're going to counsel people into freedom, you don't need power. You need eloquence of speech. You need to know some things. You need to be a good communicator. But if you have power, you don't have to communicate well, Right? Doesn't matter how you say it, what counts is, you know, basically it comes down to when a policeman walks in, all you want to see is a badge and a gun. You don't care how good he talks, right? Moses was not a good speaker, but he got the job done. Why? Because he had power. Amen? Amen. Now, <clears throat> whenever Jesus went, I keep going back, I keep trying to get back here, but I'm going back to this thing again. When Jesus sent out the 70 and he sent them out, 30, that's 35 two-man teams. And they went into all these cities. It said that he sent them, and I keep emphasizing this, he sent them into every city and place whither he himself would come. Now, he sent them in and said, heal the sick that are therein. When he got there, he, he expected, he was the king of the kingdom they were announcing. He expected when he came into the city, he didn't want to see sick people. He wanted to see the kingdom demonstrated. He wanted, he was the king of a kingdom in which there are no sick. You get that? Yeah. Why? Because a good king takes care of his subjects. 
A good king, listen, a good king is not a person who goes to a, his kingdom and sees the poor and the hurting and just turns his head up and says, well, I'm such a great king. You know, my, my castle is just full of everything I need. And yet my subjects are all starving and they're begging and they're on the street and they're, you know, looking for, for help and they're, they're sick and they're dying. That's not a good king. A good king takes care of his people. A good king can walk to the city and his people are prosperous. They live in peace. When the righteous rule, the people are in peace. They live in peace. Isn't they right? Yes. Jesus is a good king. And he expected, he sent these emissaries, these ambassadors in front of him to go and clean up the city before he got there so that when he came in, he would be looking at, what, at a city the way the kingdom would look in a city. That's what he was trying to do. He didn't go in there to heal. He came in to bring a visitation of God, so to speak. He came in to bring the presence of God and to say, yes, this is the king. Remember, we've been doing this in his name. This is the king. We're doing it in his name. And we remember when I set you free last week and you were sick and dying and now you're healed? It's because of him. It's him. Right? But what do we do? We want to make it about us. My gift, my anointing, my calling, my ministry. And it's not about us at all. Matter of fact, it, there, there's only one ministry, and that's the ministry of Jesus. Amen. And they said that in, in the book of Acts. They said, Judas fell. We, we have to find somebody who has part in this ministry, this ministry, not in the ministry, this ministry. There's only one ministry. It's the ministry of Jesus. That's why we go in the name of Jesus. We don't go in our name. You know, we, we call this John G. Lake Ministries, but as you can tell, it's not about him. I just, we just call it that so that people can know if you want this kind of teaching, this is where you find it. But it's not about John Lake at all. It's about Jesus. Why? John Lake didn't hang on a cross for me. He didn't go to the whipping post for me. Isn't that right? Jesus did. And so we have to realize it's not about any person, but yet that's what we end up doing is making this about us. My ministry, my gifting, my anointing, whatever you want to call it. And it's all in him. If, listen, if it's about you and your gifting and your anointing, then whenever you pray for people, why don't you say, in my name, be healed? Or what? Yeah. You know, but what do we do? We say, in the name of Jesus. The, unfortunately, that's about the only time the name of Jesus comes into any kind of you know, forbearance in us of being able to see what he should be doing. And that's when we just, oh yeah, we use his name to get this done. And the rest of it's all about us. My anointing, who I am. I'm in, I, this is my calling. This is my office. You know, uh, submit to me because I'm in this position. No, that's not Jesus at all. He said, it's not going to be like that among you like it is among the Gentiles. He said, you're not going to lord over one another. He said, you want to be great? Simple, serve. Be the servant. Help people. Help grow them up. It's not about how many you can get to bow to you. It's about how many you can get to bow to Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, he says here in verse... Well, yeah, verse 36, Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad and as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now notice, he didn't say, go and ask God which ones you're supposed to heal. He didn't say, go and find the ones that today's their day. He didn't say, go find the ones that have enough faith. He didn't say any of that. He said, listen, I'm giving you authority over any sickness or disease. You're, you're going out and as you go out, anybody that gets in your path or that you see that is a sickness or a disease or a devil, uh, you have the authority to set them free. This is not about the individual person. It's about the authority of the kingdom setting people free. Amen. See, we've turned it in the church to where every healing is about that person and where they are with God. It's not that at all. Every healing, healing was warfare, not a reward. Healing was warfare to show the power of God and his supremacy over sickness and disease. And when people saw that, they said, you know, because it's amazing. You go to uh, other countries, <coughs> some countries that are maybe not as, uh, as they would say, developed. You know, here we're so smart. 
that we have gotten away from this, but you go into some of these countries that people think of as backwards or not developed or whatever it is, and it's amazing how smart they are. Because you go into that country and they'll say, oh, th these are our gods, we pray to them, and they'll have shrines for them or altars or something else. And if we, we, when, you know, when we want to have children, we pray to this God. And this God will make us fertile where we can have children. And when we want a good crop, we pray to this God. Because this God is the, the God of the fields. And, they'll pray, and people still believe that and still pray that way. And it's amazing. And then you go in there and say, oh, well, that's just superstitious. And then you turn around and instead of trying to make them Christians, you end up trying to make them Americans mm -hmm. or something, you know, some other nationality or whatever it is. And it, the whole point is that we are to make them citizens of the kingdom of God. And so, you know, we end up worried about how they're dressed or, you know, whether they use forks and knives to eat with. And instead of reaching them for Christ, we, we reach them for culture. Mm -hmm. yeah. right? And we start bringing in technology. But the whole point here is that whenever you go to these people, they, they believe. And if you can set them free, if they have sickness or disease and they say, well, we got this disease, we've been praying to this God and, and nothing's happened. We say, all right, well, in the name of Jesus, be free. And then when you set them free, they say, well, well what's the name of your God? We'll serve that God. Why? Because he's stronger than this God or the, and even in their mind, this devil that held us in bondage. The whole point of healing is to show God's supremacy and his authority over other gods over these devils that are not gods, but people look at them as gods. You've got to realize this. No matter how smart we get, no matter how technologically advanced we get, it all comes down to two kingdoms. And these kingdoms have spirit beings in them and over them. And every fight we go into, it is against a spirit behind the person, not the person. You keep trying to fix a person, and all you're making is a pretty house for a devil. That's all you're doing. You're getting them fixed up where this devil has a good place to live. Mm -hmm. Instead of setting them free and casting this thing out, setting them free, healing the sick, whatever it is, sickness, disease, or anything else, it's authority, it's dominion. It's that simple. And it's not a matter of picking this person and find out what's wrong with them or how they got it. You know, you, when a policeman goes in or a SWAT team goes in to set a hostage free, the first thing they do is not say, how did you get captured? They go in, their first job is, and if they come up on a, a, a policeman, if he drives down the street and sees two guys rolling on the ground fighting with each other, he's not going to get out of his car and walk over to him and say, well, I don't want to interrupt y'all, but just to ask, D do you deserve getting beat up? Because he's winning right now. You, what did you do to deserve this? You, they don't do that. The first thing they do is they separate them. Right? What do we do as Christians? We go in and try to figure out, how did you get this? When did you get it? How long has it been there? Do you know its name? Is it the gatekeeper? Is it the... And you go through this whole ridiculous thing. Rather than just going in and say, okay, first off, we're going to separate y'all. Human here, devil there. Now we go from here, right? Now, whatever you did to, to get a hold of that thing, don't do it no more. Right? Stay free. Amen? Isn't that simple? That, that's the gospel. That's it in a nutshell right there. It is that simple. Now, let's go on here. He says... Uh, verse, yeah, look at Matthew. Now, notice, laborers were ordained because he had compassion on people. Now, think about that. If Jesus had not had compassion on the multitudes, we might have never heard anything about the 12, right? Or the 70, right? Because both times it says it. Matthew 14, 14. Let's look at some more about this. And remember, we're going to look at every time it ever mentions why a person got free, we're going to look at why it says it. Many times it doesn't mention why. But every time it does mention it, it's always this reason. Every time, never fails. Verse 14, Matthew 14, 14. And Jesus went forth and healed a great multitude, or saw a great multitude, sorry, getting ahead of myself, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. What healed the sick? Compassion. Why did he heal? Because of compassion. He saw a great multitude, he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Matthew 20, verse 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And notice, it's two blind men, 
they weren't saying, Jesus, have compassion on us to, you know, they, they weren't saying, Jesus, heal us. That's not what they were asking for, right? But they were saying mercy. They wanted mercy. They said, Lord, have mercy on us. What did they want? Healing, right? But, but to get healing, they knew if, they, if Jesus had mercy on them, they would get healed. Why? Because mercy heals. Mercy helps a person. Whatever situation they're in, mercy and compassion helps. So he said, and Jesus stood still, in verse 32, and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? What do you want me to do? And they say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now that's the perfect scenario right there. Amen. People needed help. Jesus gave them help, and they followed him. But now notice, he had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and they were healed. Why did they get healed? Compassion. Notice he never talked to God about it. He didn't say, God, what do you think? God, is this their turn? He didn't ask them, how much faith have you got? Have you got enough faith? Because, you know, it's on your faith. You say, well, that was Jesus. Yeah, but he said, the same works I do, you'll do also, and greater works than these shall you do. Why? Because I went to the Father. That's what he said. Isn't that right? So you can't just say, well, yeah, but you don't understand that was Jesus. Because Jesus said, as he is, or now it tells us, as he is, so are we in this world. So you can't keep saying, well, that was Jesus and this is us. No, he that is drawn into the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. You get it? There is a union between us. We are his representatives. You can't be a person's representatives if you can't produce what they produced. You can't constantly be saying, well, you know, sorry you don't live back in Jesus' day because all you get is me. Sorry about that. You know, if you'd have been back then, you'd have got healed because Jesus could do it. Now I'm his representative, and he don't do that no more. So, sorry. You know, you're just born too late. Right? You don't do that. That's not a representative of his. A representative is a person who represents. What does that mean? They re-present. means to present again. Now, if you don't present the same thing the second time that was there the first time, you are not representing. You hear that? got to be the same. Now, <clears throat> look at Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. Why did he get cleansed? Why, what did lep why did the leprosy leave? Compassion. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. <clears throat> and when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. So here was a demon-possessed man that got free, and Jesus said, go tell them what God has done for you and how God has had compassion on you. So here a devil got cast out because of compassion. Over and over again, you see it. You've, you've got to, listen, you've got to change just the way you think about God, about people, and about the kingdom of God. The kingdom not of God is not in word only, but in demonstration of the power and the spirit of God. It's got to be. It's not just in words. Amen? Amen. He said, notice, uh, here we have, uh, again, on page 35, we have some sacred cows, obviously, and we've already talked about that one, so I wanted to, you know, we're gonna, not going to go there for right now, but I wanted to go to Mark chapter 9. Yeah, we'll read this very quickly, and then I'll send you to break. Mark chapter 9, this is page 36 in the manual. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when he, w when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them, and straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he tears him, and he foams, and gnashes his teeth, and pines away. And I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, 
and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? Now, this is the only time Jesus did this. All right? So you can't make a doctrine off of one thing. Amen. And he said of a child, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus saith unto him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now, according to most theological doctrine today, that would have disqualified him from getting anything from God. I believe, help my unbelief. He's double-minded, couldn't get it. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, You dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. Now, let's just stop there for a second. <clears throat> Jesus said that if you cast out a devil and he goes out, You've cleaned the house, but if you don't fill the house, it can go out and walk around and come back. If it comes back, it can bring seven more with it, and the person will be in a worse condition at the end. Sometimes people will use that and say, well, if we don't know what the person's going to do, then we shouldn't cast the devil out, you know, because we, we don't want the person to be free. I mean, they were better off with one devil than with seven or eight, right? <clears throat> Which is what a person with no power would say, right? Because honestly, if you had power, you would never question that. You would just do it. Okay? You only have excuses when you don't have power. You only need gimmicks when you don't have power. When you have power, you don't need gimmicks. Amen? Yeah. And so, here, now notice here, Jesus said here, and people say, well, you know, it goes out, you know, can we cast it out? Where do we cast it? All that kind of stuff. Really didn't ever tell us where to cast them to. The closest it comes is, you know, casting it into pigs, and that was only because they were nearby. Right? So, and according to Jewish law, they shouldn't have been eating them anyway or raising them. Right? So, but you notice even pigs were smart enough to die quick and not live with the devil in them. You know, they're smarter than most humans. I'm not saying humans should kill themselves, but they should get rid of the demons. Right? <clears throat> Some humans live with demons for years. Pigs, pigs live with demons for a couple of minutes until they ran in and drowned themselves. Yeah. Right? Get free. Don't live with it. Don't deal with it. I've had so many people tell me, hey, well, if you help me with this one, th you know, this, this situation here I can deal with. You ain't got to deal with none of it. Right? It's called freedom. And so automatically people say, well, we shouldn't set him free. But notice here, Jesus said, and told this demon, do not come back into this boy. Right? Now, again, we don't build a doctrine off of one statement. But if Jesus said it, I'd say let's say it. Right? If the devil believes you, he won't come back. Right? <clears throat> you have to realize, see, <laughs> when Jesus, it was amazing, when Jesus showed up, Demon-possessed people didn't run from him. They ran to him. Half the, half the time you read, they come running to him. And a lot of times when the, when the people come running up, the demons were the first ones to speak. They would run up, and we know when he got out of the boat, the two men that were demon-possessed come run up to him and said, What have we to do with you? You know, Jesus, most holy one of God. He said, Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, that, that statement is extremely telling. What have we got to do with you? What are you doing here? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So they know there's a time of torment coming. And so they said, have you come here before the time? They knew it wasn't now. Isn't that right? But now notice, they said, have you come to torment us? Torment you? Now I'm coming to set the man free. But that torments demons. Now think about that. We always talk about demons tormenting people. Have you ever thought maybe you ought to be tormenting some demons? Have you ever thought about maybe, like we said yesterday, having a reputation in hell where you start to torment demons? You know, Because believe it or not, there are territorial spirits. There are some spirits over some areas, and when you leave that area, that demon stays there. And you That's why some people can travel places. There can be people that are demon-possessed that will go to a meeting. Let's say you know they're here and they're demon-possessed here, but they go to Tulsa. When they get there, there are no manifestations. Why? Demons stayed here. They went and left, and the demon stayed here. Demon didn't go there. Territorial, right? And, and when they come back, guess what? The thing will come back in them. Why? Because it's just waiting here. And there are certain aspects of that in spiritual warfare as, you, as they leave. Now, the amazing thing is, whenever they come, you have to realize that this... As you start to cast these things out, you are tormenting them by casting them out. And 
they don't always communicate well with each other. And you'll go to places and you'll see people and I thought there was something wrong. Well, you know, they were until they got here. You know, but it's like when we left Dallas, it just, you know, they seem to be doing pretty good. And then, you know, it's, you, you can't see anything, but then they'll get back home and they'll call you a day later. Hey, it's, you know, this is going on, that's going on. Why? Because that thing stayed there. And they know there's a time. They know there's a place. They know there's, they have, they have territories. And you can, and some cities have certain spirits that other cities really don't have. Right now, I tell you what, you can get on Highway 75 out here. And you can drive north, and I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just saying you can do this. But if you drive north, and when you cross into Grayson County, you can sense the difference in the spirit. You can sense it. There is an oppression there in the, in the city, basically in the Sherman Denison area, over the Texas area, that is different than other places around there. You go west into Gainesville, there's a difference there. You can tell it when you hit the place. There are differences in the spirit. There are cities that are oppressed. There are some cities that have specific uh, demons that are in charge of them, you know, in the sense of in the spirit realm. And it's funny because I'll go into these places and I'll, I'll fly in somewhere and I'll have people always ask me, uh, when you came in, you know, do, do you sense what, what spirit is in control here? And I said, yes, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. Because when I get there, the, and anybody, any other Christian that has the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is above any other spirit there. I don't care what spirit is in charge over that city in the, in the realm of darkness, the Holy Spirit is more powerful. And the least Christian, the newest Christian, he might not know it, but he is more powerful than the most dug-in, entrenched demon in any area. Right? And any Christian. It's just, a, just like light and darkness. You don't have to be a torch to light brightness. You strike a match and it dispels darkness, wow. right? Doesn't take a whole lot. Why? Because darkness is that easy to beat. That's why darkness has to work so hard at deceiving Christians to think that they don't have power mm-hmm. because they deceive and Christians start thinking, well, you know, I just don't know enough because, you know, I don't know where this demon came from. I don't know how, I, I hadn't been through all that training. I hadn't, it has nothing to do with that. All you have to know is very simply, you're in him, he's in you, and you speak to this thing and say, in the name of Jesus, you will go. That's all you need to know. You you don't need need to have to know how it got there or anything else. Yeah, a policeman. Listen, a policeman does not have to figure out how a burglar got in the building. A policeman just goes in, finds a burglar, arrests him, brings him out. Then later, they may, when they form their case against him, then they will do follow-up and find out how he got in. Right? But getting him out doesn't take any investigation. He's not supposed to be there. Take him out. Amen. Real simple. Christians need to realize that. You are God's policeman. Amen? Now, got to send you a break. <clears throat> we will come back and pick this up when we finish. Yes. So go to break. Go to break quickly. <laughs> He's covering some of that is uh, some other groups, you know, teach uh, a, a process of uh, taking an individual and kind of doing what you call an interview process and uh, kind of peeling the layers off till you get down to you're trying to figure out, you know, where, where did it originate and uh. Hopefully you've never been to these meetings. <laughs> I've been to one or two, and uh, didn't know I was going to that. But uh, then they'll take you in the spirit, you know, before you was born, uh, before you was traumatized, and they'll cast that thing out of you. Then they'll bring you through the birth canal, and then and there's probably two or three spirits waiting on you there. Then they get them off of you. Then they'll bring you through your, you know, your toddler years. Then they'll get them off of you. Then they'll bring you up to the present moment and to get you free. It's a lot of fun. So it's, uh, you just, uh, and I'm not saying no one ever did get free, but I think it's mostly just the mercy of God trying to help a person. It wasn't him endorsing that particular process because we, we really, the gospel or Jesus is our example. and we, we just don't see him doing that. And you say, well, he already knew it. No, there was things he didn't know. I mean, he was here as a man anointed to the Holy Ghost. I mean, the woman who issued blood touched him. He didn't know who she was. He said, he, he said, someone has touched me. But he had no idea who it was. 
So, <clears throat> he, he, but he wasn't really conducting interviews. And, uh, you know, sometime in counseling, you know, just, just counseling with people, which is something entirely different. You know, you got to go back and, you know, and talk about a number of things, but that's not what we're, he's talking about here. And um, so he kind of comes in contact with a lot of people here who are doing that, so when they hear him teach, they're just kind of confused. Well, don't we have to set him down? And Well, could you, you know, if you're a street minister, how, how effective could you be and how much time do you have to do that? Or let's just say it's a church service, and at the end of the service, you're going to lay hands on the sick, and, and how are you going to do that? I mean, you're going to have a three-hour church service and interview ten people and hold the people, or do you just... You know, because if that's how you do it, then that's how you're supposed to do it, right? So you, you couldn't do it in a, you couldn't fit it in a, uh, a format of a, of a church service because it just wouldn't work. And, uh, you know, Jesus, generally with demons, he just always said, he just said two things, uh, either get out or come out. And he did that because of authority. He knew he had dominion. And, and to back up that point once again, as he said, go and, and preach the kingdom which is the rule and the reign and the authority and dominion of God. And demons must obey that. So, once again, I'm just reiterating what you're already hearing. So, healing to people is not, you've been good, here's a reward. And God doesn't pick winners and losers. He doesn't choose who does and who doesn't. He doesn't measure you to see how much faith that you have or if you've passed the Santa Claus list and see if you're good enough for that. He, he, he just says there's an infirmity here. It's not the will of God on heaven on earth. It's my job as an act of war. Uh, in other words, Luke 4 said, Jesus said, I was anointed to set people who, who are not free, free. In other words, I, I'm here, I'm called, I'm anointed to set people who are captive free of whatever they're captive of. Do you see any interview in that? No, and then as soon as he announced the good news, they, in Luke chapter 4, in a couple of verses below that, they want to throw him off a cliff. So... Uh, <clears throat> Anyway, this is, uh, this is good. I hope you're getting hold of it. A lot of it's just really simple, but it's just fine-tuning. There's not, not that everything here, like you didn't know some things, but sometimes it's what we add on to stuff. And we, and we just need to peel it back and say, no, it's this. And it's, it's because of this. See what I'm saying? In other words, if the horse has something in his hoof or in, his, you know, in the tender part of his foot, and you say, well, he does this and does this, but... You know, his, you know his 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 mama did it, or his his daddy did it. Well, if they both had a little splinter, <laughs> that's why they were doing it. You know, they might jihad a little bit different how they when they got a splinter in there, but it's it's because we need to remove the splinter, and we're called to do that. So, y'all still getting anything out of it? You sure? All right. Well, we're gonna keep forward because there's there's not many more. Um, uh, in, a, in a normal setting, if, if he was in one of his classes, once again, it'd be three six-hour days or three 50-something-minute sessions, two-hour break, and so you'd be through in three days. But that's, if y'all want to, we'll just meet the next two days and bust them out, but that won't work for everybody, so we might have to do it this way. All righty. Well, this is our last time to give in 2016. Wow. I'm glad y'all were so excited about that. Hallelujah. <laughs> y'all must have had uh, too much to eat. I don't know. Anybody go hungry? Well, how befitting that New Year's is on Sunday. See, you're thrilled about that too. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Someone asked me one time, and I've been asked this many times, do you really, should you really know your call if you're going to pastor? <laughs> I said, how much time you got? <laughs> Glory to God. But, New Year's revelations instead of resolutions. How about that?
was telling Barb before church, uh, always about, uh, especially about November, the middle of November, December, I'm always, you know, sometimes we think that God works uh, like a lot of people do, maybe Americans, you know, January 1st, God starts everything over. He says, you know, it's time to do this and that and whatever, and he starts. But he doesn't do that. Jesus wasn't born in January, but he wasn't born in December either. So it seemed like if he was going to bring Jesus out, it should be January 1st, right? That's when he should have been born. So apparently he doesn't do it the way we do, and he doesn't have these little programs that we do. Uh, but anyway, I was just, just praying about the 2017 and just listening more than anything. And got a really precise, but really simple word, and I'm sure there will be more to come. And... Uh, uh, I, I heard uh, two words. He said, keep digging. When he said keep digging, uh, I had this little uh, mini flash. And you, know, you, ever, you ever heard someone say, God knows more about your future than you know about your past? Actually, he knows more about your past than you do too because we forget stuff. What did you all eat last Thursday? I don't know. Well, see, that's, so, so he knows all about our past. So he gave me a... He gave me a flashback that I guess it's about 25, 6, 7 years old, somewhere in there. And uh, I had, uh, for, I don't remember all the details, but uh, it was um, about a year or two before we, maybe a year before in 1990, so it's probably 89, uh, I'm sorry, 90 or 91, uh, we went to Raymond 92. So we were living back in um, in the house that we were raised in, and uh, with three children, and uh, Christian was still doing something somewhere in the universe. But anyway, we we were in this, we were in the home we were raised in, which is uh, East Clanton, out in the country. I mean, I mean out in the country. I mean out in the country. There's, you couldn't see another house from there. Well, you might you can see the back side of my grandmother's house, but that's it was way off, and. Uh, so I remember having a conversation and with my mother because uh, about it, and so like I said, this is about 1989. I said, uh, I said, so y'all used to farm all the land here. She said, yeah, about 40 acres, and then eventually her dad sold off about half of it, so that it was just all woods. So when we moved from Michigan, you know, went way down this big hill, which was always a problem with cars, and it always washing out, and it was always a problem, such an incline. And I said, but you. You said that, uh, so back when you was a little girl because you farmed all the land, you used to wash clothes in the spring, especially when all the water was just, and she said, yeah. And I said, can you even remember where the spring is? She said, I think so. But, you know, by now we've built a road, and, and she left to go to Detroit, probably when she was 16. So I'm asking this question 40 years later, I guess. So we walked the property, and now that we built a house, and there's a road. And she said, "Yeah, we take the clothes down here with a rub board, and and, and do the clothes the rub board." You'll if you get someone here to explain it to you. <laughs> so anyway, I won't stop there and do that. So they'd wash the clothes down there. And the reason I was asking was because the house that my parents built, you know, it was always the water wasn't good, even if you had water, and uh, a lot of times it'd just run dry. Then you have to go in there and prime it and wait and wait and wait and and uh, I said if we knew what that spring was if it if, you know it could be close to the house then we might could tap into it and you know pump the water and salt such as that so she walked to it and, and she says I think it's right here she said I'm almost sure the spring is right here and I said well Elle, that's not really an indication that it would be a I said but okay well I knew just by what way it was it was still going to be an incline to the house so you'd, you'd sure enough have to do some pumping and it would be I would be like from here to Nap or, or further, probably further, where she showed me. And uh, so one day I thought, ah, I think I'll, I'll just go do a little bit of digging. Just, and uh, I was just going to dig for a few minutes, and but you know how guys are, they can be stubborn. So I, I dug a hole that was uh, about five foot in diameter and circle, and it's five or six foot deep. So I was there for a little while. And I uh, just never could find anything, and it was just dry, you know, just about as dry, five or six foot deep was when I started. And uh, so I was fatigued to say the least and had a few water blisters. If you don't know what that is, ask someone else here. And uh, so I went home 
and uh, went back the next day, and uh, I thought, well, I'll maybe dig some more, and I thought, man, I ain't doing all that. And uh, went back home. A day or two later, went back, and I said, you know, uh, I don't know the kit, you know, because my boys were little. I said, I don't know. I wouldn't think they'd go this far from the house, but if they did, you know, a hole that's just open, six foot deep, five foot in diameter, that wouldn't be good. And uh, so I said, I'll just go, and I better just, you know, put the dirt back in there. And I got over there. The water was to the top. And that's where the spring was, but there was no indication. And he said, keep digging in the same place. It's about to get wet. Well, I hadn't thought of that spring in, you know, 20, 25, six years. And, uh, but I'll never forget it, you know, just all the work. Well, you imagine how long it takes to build, you know, just with a shovel, six foot deep, five foot wide. And, you know, four or five of us could jump down in there and just, uh, so I remember digging it. But it just went well, I walked up there three, four days later, and it was just all the way to the top. And um, so we're just going to keep digging. And uh, because it's, it's uh, even though you may not see today what you, what you have in your heart, doesn't mean there's not a spring there. Amen? So that's what we're doing. All right. Well, let's receive the offering. We declare it blessed. In Jesus' name, call you blessed, and all that you put the hand to, increased and multiplied in Jesus' name. I believe we'll have a good word for 2017. See, is there any bowl games before Sunday? Is there, should we, do we need to pray about any of those? I don't need to pray down about it. We need what? There's something Saturday afternoon? About 2, 2.30? Huh. Yeah, I was going to write a letter to them and just say, you know, um, if you win then uh, you'll play for the championship on the 9th of January, which would be my birthday. That would be a good present. <laughs> Just. But they haven't wrote me back yet. I wonder why. <laughs> you think probably Saban hadn't had time to, you think? <laughs> well, all right. Praise God.